You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here, broadcasting from the home studio. I've got AJ Vickery and John Beeler with me today as well. We've uh, got a cool program. Later on, uh, we will be chatting with uh, our good friend Eugene Suyu. He is uh, the man behind Tinkering. Uh, we've uh, actually had him on the show in the past. Uh, his company uh, out in Delta, they manufacture 3D printers for schools uh, and uh, high schools, universities. Well, they are actually switching over their production lines to help start uh, actually printing out and and making medical devices. We'll uh, talk to him and uh, find out what that entails. It's uh, it's pretty interesting. We'll also be talking about PhotoStick alternatives. Uh, We've had a lot of feedback uh, while people have some downtime. Uh, They have been organizing their photos. Well, one of those things to help that is uh, something called a PhotoStick. We'll talk about that if uh, they're right for you and maybe some alternatives to that uh, as well. So guys, uh, lots of uh, news this week. Uh, I don't know if you saw this one uh, from Intel. They're uh, pledging another 15, or fifth, sorry, 50, five zero million dollars to help uh, fight the epidemic. I did see that, yeah. Um, uh, again, it's just amazing to see how many companies are, are coming out to support in a time like this. But what I found, um, you know, you don't often think about it, but you know, the reality is so much technology actually goes into uh, finding things like cures and, and 40 million uh, of this fund is actually going to go specifically towards um, the response and readiness and online learning initiatives. You know, if you think about it, uh, artificial intelligence is a key area where they can start to use the um, technology to sort of help think through what different solutions might be in terms of vaccines and whatnot. And um, this is where a lot of that money is being directed to. Yeah, well, that is the interesting thing. We keep talking about, uh, you know, the vaccine. All the governments are talking about the vaccine, but obviously that has to be uh, researched. And, uh, you know, they typically use high-end uh, computers uh, and AI to uh, sequence, uh, you know, the cor- coronavirus uh, genome and, and, you know, try to find a way to make that vaccine and cure. So, uh, again, uh, you know, this money will go a long way into uh, helping that. They're also putting $10 million into what they call an innovation fund and local-based uh, community community efforts uh, as well. So some interesting stuff happening there uh, too. Uh, you know, from what I understand, uh, one of their uh, partners, uh, the Houston uh, Methodist Hospital, uh, they've got a platform called SickBay where they're able to actually take regular hospital beds and turn them into virtual ICU beds in minutes so that they can monitor coronavirus uh patients so uh i i think that's uh, pretty cool and uh, you know we talked about uh, dyson you know has been uh asked by the uk government to make i think 10,000 uh, ventilators so intel is actually working with them and uh, a medical consultancy firm called ttp uh to help uh design and make these uh, these ventilators so uh the money uh, i think will be well spent definitely Uh, Also uh, in the news uh, this week, uh, we've talked about this uh, a while back, and it's finally and quietly rolling out in Canada, the UK, and Australia. Google Duplex AI calling uh, is happening. John, explain how that all works. So the idea behind this is that you can use your Google Home smart speaker or your Nest speaker, whatever its branding (laughs) has. Uh, You can actually say, you know, hey, Google... uh, call and order me an appointment for something, you know, whether, you know, obviously not right now, but like a restaurant reservation, uh, order a pizza, um, uh, order a haircut reservation, you know, whatever those kinds of things that you would normally do, you can basically automate uh, and have Google call for you. Uh, 
And it's kind of interesting to see because I, I didn't really hear a lot about the trials in the U.S. Because um, there, there was a concern that, you know, this is calling the wrong places. Um, it's asking for the wrong things or it's asking for stuff that was never even intended by the the person, um, you know, that made the request. So, um, but it, I guess they've worked out some of the kinks if they're already expanding it to Canada and other places. I don't know who they'd be calling. Uh, you know, the examples I saw uh, in the past was, uh, you know, the Google duplex calling to make a, a restaurant reservation or a haircut appointment. Uh, you know, most of that is kind of dead <laughs> right now. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, maybe I can get it to call AJ <laughs> and play some prank calls or something. Yeah, I don't one know. Of the, one of the problems that I found, because I use it sometimes um, to call, like, people in my household, but it doesn't actually... Um, uh, with the phone, the smartphones or the phones that we're using or the networks that we're on, it doesn't actually send a call or ID either, you know? And so the thing about call ID is it really is critical, f- uh, or sorry, it can be extremely helpful. Uh, for example, um, ordering from a restaurant for pickup, you yeah. know? Um, if they if they get your number ahead of time, they're easily to, able to pull up your account and sort of check what items that you might want to reorder and sort of streamline some things. And I would think the same would be for you know visiting a, 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 a clinic or a doctor or, or anything like that. Obviously, you can give them your phone number as soon as you're connected, but um, it'd be it'd be great if it could also show who is actually calling. So, one of the hard things to get while you're out shopping, and I don't know if you guys have found this, is toilet paper. I still, for the love of God, don't know why I can't find any. I don't know like how much toilet paper everyone has. Uh, but you know what the, the next biggest thing uh, tech-wise is hard to find? Webcams. Is it? Oh. I didn't even let you yep. guess. <laughs> well, I was going to say, it, when you said next thing tech-wise, I thought you meant toilet paper was tech. And I was like, ah. <laughs> Unless you're using something special, but yeah, webcams. Yeah, well. there was that toilet paper robot at CES. We saw this year, but <laughs> actually, I was going to guess uh, yeast for baking, but <laughs> yeah, that's hard to find. I, I, I couldn't find tech wise either. I couldn't find that either. But no, webcams are a hot commodity online right now. They are going anywhere from you know two, three to five hundred percent more uh, than uh, they they regularly go for if you can find them, which is kind of a, a rip off. Well, it's all the profiteers can't sell medical equipment, so they can sell webcams. Yeah, they can get away doing that, right? Yeah. So the the big ones out there would be the Logitech ones, and uh, they are they are they are marked up like crazy right now. Everyone obviously is doing Zoom or some type of uh, video conferencing, so they're you know trying to I guess up their their game, you know, because a lot of these cameras on older laptops and and older you know desktops are not as good anymore so they're trying to find you know a nice hd webcam well you're going to be paying for it unfortunately it's really interesting to see how many people have been thrust into the role of it support person for themselves uh during this pandemic because they don't have the luxury of having someone from the office to help them uh in person um you know general or at least they shouldn't be and uh so they're being forced to figure all this stuff out and it's something that i I see all the time like on my facebook feed someone's like how do i do this or how do i do that and it's it's interesting to see how everyone's trying to help um but if you can't even get the tech in the first place it's really difficult yeah you know it's funny john that you bring that up because i was actually speaking with um 
a uh, recruiting firm as uh, a friend of mine who's a partner in one of the bigger recruiting firms in town and they uh you know i was asking them sort of how how hard have you guys been hit because i imagine not a lot of people are looking to hire right now he said that one of the areas that was surprisingly still quite active in terms of growth and hiring right now is um, IT support companies. And if you think about IT support, you know, it's actually been moving to the point where a lot of the support is actually done online now. Like when you're dealing with your IT support company, the first thing they try to do is just remotely log into your computer and solve some of those issues. But you're right, like so many of us are now trying to get our home offices up and running and working to the point where we've got solid internet connections, you know, possibly these webcams installed and all that kind of thing. So um, I was getting uh, information as that being one industry or, or one type of business that is actually doing quite well right now. I guess we could all be doing this in our <laughs> in our off hours to make a little extra yeah. money, right? <laughs> the new yeah. gig economy, right? Online tech support. Yeah. <laughs> Uber tech. Oh, yeah, that'd be, there must be something out there. We'll have to look uh, look into that. Tech uh, rabbit. Tech, <laughs> tech rabbit. Tech rabbit. <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah. Amazon is apparently delaying their uh, their Prime Day. So they've started kind of this Christmas shopping in July kind of thing uh, called Prime Day. Uh, typically now happens over two days, July 15th and 16th, but uh, they are delaying it. And they say uh, they expect to lose about uh, $100 million because of it. It's the only thing we can do right now is online shop. I know. I know. I think the problem, I, I think the problem though is uh, delivering and getting the stuff. Uh, I don't know if you've tried to order anything on Amazon right now that is not yeah. like, you know, an essential item. Uh, it's like a month away. But yes. the, the, the thing I've noticed though, and, and I have some really good anecdotal evidence because I have a window right here into my complex and I can see how many Amazon trucks come in on an hourly basis. <laughs> Clearly they're delivering uh, stuff. And I, I've heard from a lot of my friends and myself included, I've ordered stuff that wasn't supposed to be delivered for a month and I got it the next day. They're like, I think they're just setting expectations on a lot of these things. It's like, well, we'll try, you know, and, um, but generally it shows up pretty quickly as long as it's available in the local warehouse. And I live really close to uh, an Amazon warehouse. So yeah, I, I think that, yeah, the challenge is uh, just, getting the stuff from their suppliers, I think would be the big thing. You know, I've talked to a lot of uh, friends that are in the tech industry and, uh, you know, they're doing their best to try to get stuff ship, shipped out of their warehouses. But, you know, they're having trouble, uh, you know, getting, depending where their location is, uh, you know, being allowed to actually have workers in the warehouse to ship stuff yeah. out, especially down in California where a lot of them are, are based. So. I found that kind of interesting. Okay, we're going to have to take a break. So much more to talk about uh, today. We'll uh, be back after this break. We'll be chatting about photo sticks, an easy way to back up all your photos. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. This is Mike Eggerbo here with John and AJ. Later on the show, we'll be talking with uh, the folks over at Tinkering Studios. Uh, they make 3D printers, and now they're switching over to making medical supplies. So we'll uh, talk about the journey and how that all goes down. It's actually pretty fascinating. I want to talk now about photo sticks. Last week, we chatted about how to back up and organize your photos, depending on what platform you're using. Well, one uh, very popular item online right now would be photo sticks. These are little flash drives that you pay a lot of money for and essentially plug them into the side of your computer in the USB slot and they automatically 
take all of the photos and videos off of your computer, or sorry, not take them, but back them up onto that stick. So the appeal is obviously it's a no brainer. It just does it all automatically for you. Is this the best route to go? You know, obviously you're paying uh, a premium for this uh, over a regular flash drive. Uh, are there alternatives? Uh, John, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I did a lot of research on this because this is something we get asked about pretty regularly. And we had a number of people write in uh, after our last segment about, you know, what about photo sticks? Because I think they're getting bombarded by ads for it uh, on Facebook and other places. And it, it does sound like on the surface, like a good idea. Um, but I couldn't find any, what I would call legitimate reviews for it. I found a lot of what I call fake reviews, uh, promoting the product clearly with a message like, you know, buy it from here kind of thing. And when I did find some actual reviews, they were all pretty negative. And one of the problems that it seems with the photo stick is, is that it's not compatible with all of the older machines. And so you buy this thing and it, it can be pretty expensive depending on the size that you get and where you live. Cause you have to pay for shipping as well. Um, is that it, it won't work on an older windows machine or an older Mac. So um, I was trying to find an alternative that would do kind of the same thing or, or very similar um, that would work on these older machines. And um, one of the challenges I've, I had is I could not find anything that, you know, was a legitimate product. I was hoping to find an open source product that someone created a script that you could just run that would copy all your stuff to a thing, uh, an external backup. Uh, and that kind of thing does exist. It's just not super easy and, and uh, approachable for the non-technical people. Um, but what I did find was something that quite surprised me, actually. It's a program called and I'm going to spell this out because it's a kind of a, uh, a weird name, XNViewMP. So it's an image management tool, and it's available for literally every platform. You can get it for Windows, uh, old 32-bit, 64-bit, uh, Mac OS, even Linux versions of it. And what it is, is it's essentially a browser for your hard drive. And it allows you to see, at a quick glance, your entire computer system uh, at the folder level and it'll actually show you which folders have images in it and you can click on that folder go inside and look at those folders or photos and and, uh, and preview them in a little little preview window you can manage it from there you can copy it you can move it you can organize it you can categorize things you can do a lot of things that people have been asking us like i want to organize my photos i have a lot of photos i want to organize them how do i do that and this the, the great thing about this particular tool, um, and you can get it at xnview.com. It's completely free. Um, so my recommendation would be to take the money that you're going to spend on a photo stick and buy an external hard drive that you can use for your backups and then use this tool to find all your stuff, categorize, organize it, add some data, metadata to it so that you know what these photos are. Um, and people like creating albums and all that kind of stuff. And then put that backup from your computer hard drive onto this external hard drive. And it'll probably be cheaper than buying a photo stick. And you'll learn a lot in the process too. It's not completely, uh, um, you know, set and forget. You do need to do a little bit of uh, looking around and seeing where your photos are, but chances are your photos are probably limited to a a handful of photo uh, folders. And this program will let you find those really quickly. And uh, the fact that it's completely free, it runs on um, pretty much every computer that you can find. And it supports just about every image type that you would have. 
And the nice bonus is too, it actually has uh, a uh, photo editor built into it. So you can actually manipulate your photos. You can do some effects and cropping and all that kind of stuff all within this app. And it's completely free. So I think that's a pretty good alternative to PhotoStick, and it's something you can download right now. You don't have to order it and wait for it to come. Uh, you don't have to overpay on shipping. Um, spend that money. Go to Amazon. Just buy a hard drive and uh, back up your stuff. Uh, say the name one more time, John. XNView.com, and the app itself is called XNViewMP. That's a, a fantastic suggestion. Uh, another one, too, is that a lot of these uh, external hard drives that are available nowadays you know, from, you know, the big names like Western Digital or Seagate, they typically have uh, backup software included with them uh, as well. So I find them pretty simple to set up. And in that backup software, you can have automatic backups happening as well. You can basically say, hey, I want to back up these folders. And like you said, John, your pictures are typically in, um, you know, a select set of folders, like your pictures folder, for example, is the main one. Uh, if you've got a videos folder as well, and you can basically point the software to you know those folders, and then set up to have it back up like you know three in the morning every night, uh, you know, or once a week or whatever you feel comfortable with. And like you were saying, uh, you know, I think you get a lot more bang for your buck. You know, you'd be able to spend that money on a decent you know hard drive uh, with some decent size to to get all of those. Uh, all those pictures. We are going to have to take a break now. When we come back, we'll learn how one Canadian company is switching over their manufacturing to now print and make medical supplies and the journey behind that. It's super fascinating. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio with John Beeler. want to talk uh, about the, I guess, the shortage of medical supplies that many countries, including Canada, are facing. Hospitals, frontline workers, uh, even pharmacists, paramedics, firefighters can't get enough of certain equipment. Things like uh, as simple as face masks. Well, a lot of companies are looking to change their manufacturing to help during this crisis. We're going to chat now with uh, one company that we've talked to before. They are tinkering labs or sorry tinkering studios uh, they're based here in vancouver and they make 3d printers for the education market some really really cool ones they are changing their whole manufacturing process to ramp up to produce face masks for hospital workers and it's just kind of interesting to see the process that they have to go through how quickly or how long it takes how they're going to make money to actually fund all of this, and how do they get it out to the hospitals. On the line, uh, we have our good friend Eugene Soyu. He is the co-founder and CEO of Tinkering Studios. Thanks for joining us today. Glad to be here. So tell us what this is uh, all about. You've got a certification from Health Canada. What can you actually make? Well, we got the Class 1 Medical Establishment License, and that limits us to anything that's considered a Class 1 device. Um, They've outlined what they are i don't have that off the top of my head uh, i do i do believe it's uh face shields face masks and it's limited to a couple things but things like gloves and gowns are still considered class two and how like do you have to retool your manufacturing process obviously to to start making these how does that all work 
it doesn't feel like it's too far from what we do. You know, we still use 3D printing. We still use some of the laser cutter uh, equipments that we have in-house to um, cut out the, the visor shield portion. But we do have to retool for packaging and we do have to retool for um, what it is that we're actually building. So instead of building complex uh, robotic machines, we're now making what we consider to be relatively simple shields. Well, it it sounds simple, but you know, I, I just look at uh, you know during this crisis, uh, governments are uh, leaning on different companies to you know switch up what they typically make. You know, down in the U.S., they're you know getting GM and Ford to make ventilators, and I'm just wondering, like, how does a car company go to making ventilators? I mean, there's a whole shift, uh, you know, in I guess expertise and just from the manufacturing process uh you know to get an assembly line that makes cars to make ventilators that's a, a whole thing like how long do you think it's going to take you just to make you know basic face shields like to to retool your your, your facility to do that well we're doing it already now um and that was fast you yeah you do, it, you do it as fast as you can and you do it in increments you know when we first looked at doing this three weeks ago it was a simple company initiative to make a couple and uh, when we when we say a couple, we're talking about you know fifty to hundred at a time. But we really quickly realized that we needed to at least hit a hundred a day if we wanted to make any impact. And so we did that within probably a couple of days. We moved a couple uh, workbenches around. We moved all the three D printers we had downstairs into the warehouse production area. And then we just we tried to look for as much material as we could from uh, you know the plastic suppliers. But then you quickly realize that a hundred a day is not a lot. No. And so we retooled again and we went to 240 and then a day. And then, you know, we looked at the, the, the equation from just the company's perspective. You know, we, we used to 3D print these brackets that took an hour. And we realized really quickly that these brackets take too much time. Um, and if we wanted to do anything of scale, we need to either remove the brackets altogether or make them really, really small so that we can do them in five, 10 minutes. And so we redid the design again. The, the design team and I kind of jumped in all, uh, all kind of, yeah, all arms on deck. And we are now at a capacity of about a thousand a day if we really wanted to push all the machines to run 24 seven. In, in one shift alone, we can get about 900 or so sets of these clips. So it's just a constant retooling. It's not an overnight thing. It probably won't be for anyone that's doing this. And it's a lot about the supply chain because, you know, going from making car parts to making delicate electronics that can, you know, monitor airflow and all that stuff, they have some of the technologies already, but it's deploying it in a totally different way. And yeah, a lot of it will come from supply chain, just making sure they have new components to do this as well. Eugene, one of the things we talked about previously about sort of uh, makers getting involved in the 3D printing of medical equipment is the the sterility of these parts once they've been made mm-hmm. a lot of you know hobbyist 3d printers they're in garages that kind of thing can you talk about what you've had to do to sort of um, a get certified and address that aspect of things but also some of the challenges that um, we're seeing in the communities uh, with 3d printed medical equipment yeah so sterilization is pretty big I think uh, the sense that I get is there there are companies out there and there's obviously groups of makers ourselves included as one of those companies we're all wanting to help in some way shape or form and the intention is all the same you know we want to get these protective gear to frontline healthcare workers the concern is always around you know you're making an impact or trying to make an impact but then you end up being you know asymptomatic and then you end up transmitting the actual virus over to 
well, the, the healthcare works that are going to get these PPEs. For us, we look at it from a, a pure uh, liability perspective. So, you know, can the company afford to do this, number one? And if we can, what procedural stuff can we put in place? And so that is full sanitization of the actual uh, manufacturing floor um, every three to five days, depending on the activity that's happening and if we're getting deliveries. That is a full sanitization of or isolation of the finished part. So how long does it sit on the shelf for? Because we know this virus has a, 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 a shelf life uh, on plastics. How we handle these plastics as they get printed, um, as they come off, you know, gloves, uh, masks, do we wear shields ourselves? You know, all these procedural stuff are, are super important, at least for a company. And, you know, I would also venture to say for any maker, um, hacker groups out there, they ought to be looking at the same things. The, you know, just the intentions of helping alone isn't isn't enough. If you start to become the organization that helps vector the, the virus into, you know, the healthcare workers, that's the worst thing that we could do uh, for a moment like this. You talked about the supply chain. So you're going to make some face masks for healthcare workers. How, how difficult is it to get all the supplies for that? Obviously, it's mostly plastic, I, I would assume. But, you know, how quickly can you get that material? Uh, it's becoming more difficult. If you asked me that three weeks ago when we when we put the announcement out that we were doing this, we single-handedly swooped up every single piece of 4 by 8 PETG in Vancouver. Uh, I just called around and, you know, there wasn't a lot of sheets to begin with. And so, you know, we, we became overnight the biggest source of PETG in, in, the, in the greater Vancouver region. It's getting harder because majority of these supplies are uh, being manufactured in the US and there is a huge demand for material down in the US just be, just for their own population alone. We've seen that the, the wait times are now starting to get longer. So if you weren't in the queue for materials, it's now gonna take four to eight weeks to, to just for the, the visor shield material. But the, the key with supply chain is to make things simple, right? You know, looking for a standardized part uh, and not introduce other complexities in place. So we 3D print three components and we have three additional components, one of which is foam for covering kind of the, the forehead portion so that it's sealed. And then one is the visor and one is the elastic that goes behind the head. And that's it. We worry about three outside components and then uh, we take care of three of our own. We may end up going with a process of injection molding or extrusion for the clips on the side of the, the shield just for scale if we need to. But there seems to be an okay supply of everything but the visor material. And I think that's just be, just because everyone is also doing it. The supply is just getting pulled right out of the, the, the chain. We've been talking with Eugene Soyu. He is the CEO and co-founder of Tinkering Labs here in BC. And just uh, learning how they're uh, changing their manufacturing uh, from making 3D printers to creating medical supplies for frontline workers. When we come back from the break, we're going to explore this a little further. And it's really interesting. You know, there's a lot of these small companies out there that could help with the effort. But what kind of hoops do they have to jump through to actually get them to where they need to be, to the hospital workers, to the paramedics? And how do they pay for all of this uh, as well? You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. We'll be back shortly after this. You are back with Get Connected, Mike Agarbo with John Beeler here in studio, I guess, home studio. We've been uh, chatting with Eugene Soyu. He is the co-founder and CEO of Tinkering Studios here in BC. 
out in Delta. They have been making 3D printers uh, up until now, but uh, they're looking at switching some of their manufacturing over to help with creating some basic medical supplies. They've just got a Health Canada license to do so. And so we've just been exploring what it takes to make that all happen, and it's super fascinating. But now, you know, we want to talk about how do you pay for all of this? How do the hospitals get it? Is there a coordinated effort? So my next question, a few weeks ago, you've decided to get into this to uh, to help uh, during this uh, health crisis. And you're figuring out how to make these face masks on scale. You know what I mean? Like instead of like five a day, you want to do hundreds or even thousands of them. So once you get that issue solved uh, and, you know, hopefully you've got enough material for a while, how do you get it to the to the front line then like do, do the hospitals approach you do you approach the hospitals does health canada broker that how does that all work a little bit of everything <laughs> we have tried really really hard uh, and the team here has done i think a really great job of reaching out to hospitals and even just family physicians uh you know where we've classified for ourselves what it means to be ha- you know to to serve the frontline essential workers so we broke it down into two categories uh the first category being anyone in healthcare. So that means it's the doctors, the nurses, everyone inside hospitals. But it also extends outside uh, into the people that are in the pharmacists, because I know that a lot of the times they're not getting you know, the, the proper equipment and, and the attention. It's also the firefighters and the paramedics, because they're being sentenced to homes. And also people aren't really you know, thinking about that. So we've classified those areas as what we, what we would consider level one. Um, and then level twos are all the other essential workers. So the grocery stores, do they need protection as well? They are dealing with people. And so they ought to, they ought to be connect, oh, sorry, protected. And so the way that we, the, the reason why we built these two levels is because if it gets worse and we only have, let's say 5,000 face shields to be able to provide people, we want to be able to make the proper call. Do we uh, allocate all 5,000 to these level one workers, or do we you know, split it 50-50? Our choice would most definitely go towards uh, supplying this all for level one uh, healthcare workers in this scenario. And I want to talk about the money aspect now, because you know a lot of small businesses and even large corporations are are switching their manufacturing and production lines. What does this do to your your bottom line? Like this isn't obviously a, a big money maker, right? No, it's uh, it's it will it does have an element of profit built into the business model. Um, you know, we are a for profit business at the end of the day, um, and the way that we are looking at this is fairly simple. At least we think it's fairly simple. A device like PPE or any product really uh, needs to have some form of revenue built in so that we are able to continue to grow this in scale. If we were just donating this, we could donate maybe uh, you know, a couple thousand, uh, a couple tens of thousand, and then call it a day because we are just the funds are gone or the allocation of funds we just won't be there. If we want to continue to provide uh, additional shields for people <clears throat> for duration of time to come, then building building profit margin into this that allows us to continue to do this, I think it's one of the only ways to do it, to be able to continue to do this in, at scale. Now, un- unless there is funding that comes through from the government side of things, you know, federal government or, or provincial government says, you know what, we need uh, 10,000, 15,000 plus or more of these shields to go to every hospital, every nurse, every doctor, and we will fund it. You know, until that happens, as a company, we, we have to to do this. So securing a sense of, uh, securing funding um, is important. We're looking into that as a company. As it is right now, the company is actually putting all of its capital resources behind a project like this. 
And yeah, there is a profit margin built in, you know, but it's it's not significant. You know, we're not one of the things that we want to do is to make sure that we're not going out there and, uh, you know, taking advantage of the times, the fact that these are in you know super high demand and making a two thousand percent a profit margin uh, in our product. No, we're it's still it's still you know built in properly like in a normal business would have a product and we're not looking to take advantage of the situation and i guess my last question here and we just got a minute left how is the coordination i mean i imagine there's a lot of uh, small companies uh, businesses like yours that are in the manufacturing business you know how do you find the coordination from a, a health level so that you can get these these face shields out to hospital workers or firefighters like it seems like you've had to kind of try a few different ways. Could there be better coordination in the future, do you think? Yeah, I think a lot of the what we're seeing right now is the fact that there isn't a lot of coordination. So everyone is kind of running around trying to figure things out. Um, it could be the cities. It could be the hospitals themselves. But ideally, you know, under normal circumstances, most of these PPEs are handled at a centralized you know, government level. This is not typically done at the hospital, individual hospital level. So... You know, I do know that the government here in BC is trying to put something together that allows uh, proper uh, procurement, and it just hasn't fully come into fruition yet. And so, you know, we are working with the individual hospitals, the individual physicians and the clinics, because everyone wants to be a little bit ahead of the curve in case it gets bad, right? And um, it it does add a significant amount more manpower to do um, individual outreach to um, doctors, physicians, regional hospitals, um, but it's it's got to be done, and uh, you know we're taking it and we're doing it, and it absolutely makes sense to. So we'll continue to do that until something more centralized comes around. We've been talking with Eugene Suyu. He is the co-founder and CEO behind Tinkering Studios uh, here in British Columbia. They've just got uh, Health Canada. Uh, licensed to make things like face shields and uh, some basic uh, medical supplies and just finding out how he's going through the the different challenges of uh, doing that. Thanks again for joining us, Eugene. Yeah, that was fun. We come back from the break. More tech to talk here on Get Connected back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Don't forget to visit our website, getconnectedmedia.com. We are always giving away tech prizes this week we're giving away a cobra dash cam a dual dash cam you'll be able to actually record what's happening in front of you and behind you i mean the empty streets <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes save that for your grandchildren uh and again to enter getconnectedmedia.com all you have to do is subscribe to our newsletter the newsletter tabs right up top there there's some links it's pretty easy to find once you're subscribed you're entered to win this and all the contests this year we're giving away thousands of dollars in prizes so it's uh super super cool also make sure you subscribe to our youtube channel we're always posting all our video podcasts and uh great how-to videos and and product uh, overviews uh so lots of great content uh, and again just do a search on google uh, YouTube, sorry, on YouTube for Get Connected uh, Media, and you will find us there. Subscribe and like our stuff. It would be very, very helpful. That's all the time we have left. I want to thank uh, all the folks that helped put the show together, including uh, John, Stephen, AJ, of course, uh, and the rest of the gang. We'll see you again next time.